The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect, with many teams strutting their stuff. You might now be at a game this year. Either way, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to the bird calls on the Armchair All American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search the bird calls, and subscribe today. fans welcome to another episode of the bird calls podcast i'm your host and sometimes contributor to the birdrights.com preston ellis uh today we are briefly recapping the preseason before we get set for tomorrow's season opener with the tampa bay raptors yes that's right they are now 90 minutes away from me amazing good things keep happening in florida jk lol now i i know what everybody's probably thinking right now what the hell this isn't the dave grubb podcast that i signed up for totally understand and appreciate your frustration however grub is unavailable today but i do have some good news we have the editor-in-chief to the birdrights.com the number one nicolo Melli apologist and the guy who doesn't think you heard him call stephen adams mate in his introductory press <laughs> conference mr ali cosell what's up hey preston you're right i have high hopes for Melly. So, yeah, I guess I can be called an apologist. And look, <laughs> Stan Van Gundy likes him, too. And as for Adams, I think everybody loves that guy. I mean, I don't think we need to go too much into him, but I'm sure we'll discuss him. When we talk about who Stan Van Gundy and David Griffin like, I'll remind you, sir, that David Griffin went to Twitter last season to praise one Mr. Frank Jackson. And speaking of Mr. Frank Jackson, his number one fan, Mr. David Fisher's here. Man, I'm going to have to get up so early to watch Frank on Chinese basketball. Um, I, I can't set my DVR to that, but it'll be good practice. Um, for all of the pirated NBA games I need to watch since YouTube TV can't figure things out with Fox Sports Regional Sports Networks, so nobody can watch it if you're with the modern age and cut the cut the cord. It's so frustrating. I almost lost my bladder last night when Grub posted that I'm sorry, Miss Jackson meme immediately after the news was announced. That was amazing. Uh, <laughs> let's start with Ali. We're going to briefly recap the preseason. Of course, we have not spoken since the Pelicans faced off with the Milwaukee Bucks. A lot of good to take away from that and a lot of concerns. Of course, it's preseason basketball. So we are going to overanalyze everything because why else are we here? Uh, ultimately, it was 127 to 113. Uh, the story, of course, is Zion with 31 points. But I want to start on just your main takeaway. Ali and of course the elephant not necessarily the elephant in the room because it was preseason but were you a bit concerned by the performance of Brandon Ingram no Uh, but let's start with the positives first I think preseason showed us number one Zion Williamson is healthy fit and raring to go with no restrictions so just based on that I felt pretty confident in saying that he's going to make an all-nba team this year likely the third but still 
I look back, and over the last, was it, four years, nobody that has scored more than 25 points a game and been on a winning team has missed being selected to an all-NBA team. Not since Kyrie Irving back in 16-17, uh, or was it 15-16, but about four or five years ago when he was teamed up with LeBron James in Cleveland. So I really think Zion, you know, knock on wood, man, he stays healthy. But if he can do that, then I really think he's going to be able to put up some impressive numbers, more highlight-worthy reels, and, of course, like I said, earn some real accolades this year. So you've got that going for yourself. Then Stan Van Gundy, I feel like we saw exactly what this guy was talking about at the start of training camp on what he wanted to do with this team be carried out in those two preseason games. He's placed a premium on the defense. And one of the ways to do that is you cut down on your turnovers, you corral the rebounds, you know, limiting opponents to one shot. And I thought they did that incredibly well, right? The best rebounding team in preseason. Um, they had, I think, the second fewest amount of turnovers per 100 possessions. They did not give up any second chance points as to where they gobbled them all up, right? Had an insane round 37% offensive rebounding percentage. So they played exactly the way Stan Van Gundy kind of promised they're going to. So that has to get you excited about what you're going to see that is going to be markedly different, kind of a winning combination there. So I like the starting lineup. I'm not worried about Brandon Ingram. I thought he looked really good in that first game. And yeah, in the last game, not so much. I don't know what it was with him, right? I don't know if Fish can add his ideas, but I saw a guy who start the game with a good, you know, vibe. Uh, he was up on Chris Middleton, got to the rim, got to the free throw line about two or three times in the first quarter and had, you know, six, seven point first quarter. And then, boy, just hit a wall. You know, the foul trouble was probably the biggest thing, right? He didn't play but 24 minutes for the game, fouling out, trying to stay with Middleton. But nobody had success guarding him. And, you know, that brings you to the point of what's the biggest thing you're worried about this team. And it is, of course, defending those big scoring wings. They couldn't slow down Middleton at all with Ingram, Hart. And then eventually Stan Van Gundy had to turn to Thornwell. And by that time, Middleton had pretty much gone through all his minutes and, you know, finished the night with, what, 26 minutes played. But he almost torched the Pelicans for 30 points. So that's my biggest concern. You're still going to be improved defensively, but you're not going to be able to stop what really was the Pelicans' uh, Achilles heel last year. So all in all, I thought it was a good preseason. I thought we saw a lot of positive. I think the starting lineup is going to work a lot better than people think, right? Uh, especially when Eric Bledsoe gets more familiar with his teammates. But I think Adams, he's, he's a market improvement over what favors gave the Pelicans last year. Uh, we'll we'll go back to fish and we'll cover some of this. I know we're overanalyzing the preseason. The most important takeaway from the preseason is just health, and the Pelicans managed to come away from that, uh, albeit uh, minus one Wenyan Gabriel, who's still day to day. But fish, I want to talk about the first quarter versus the second quarter. About four minutes into the second quarter, the Pelicans were up uh, with a decisive lead. I want to say it was forty-seven to twenty-seven before the Bucks rattled off uh, uh, like a thirty-two to maybe twelve run or something and got it within two by the end of the second quarter. Uh, were you concerned with that eight-minute surge that the Pelicans allowed the Bucks to take? Not particularly. Uh, Milwaukee's still a good team even without Giannis on the floor, and I think. Um, there's a lot of very good professional basketball players over there who decided that they weren't going to take this um, Middleton key among those. And I mean, it's, it's basketball. It's a game of runs. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like while the Pelicans offense um, slowed down in terms of their scoring, I didn't feel like the Pelicans were taking bad shots or they were failing to create good looks. 
just sometimes you miss. And uh, I felt like that stretch was very just much just um, that's basketball. Like sometimes the, the, the balls don't go in the hoop, even if you're getting good shots. Um, I, I mean, there, there are going to be cold stretches like that. Um, and I don't think, I don't think there's a whole lot to derive from them in individually. Now, if it, it continues to happen over a long period of time, um, maybe I would, you know, be more concerned, but in this situation, um, I mean, it's, we just don't have enough information not to just say, Hey, sometimes you go cold and the shots don't go in. And I mean, Middleton, a lot of the shots he was hitting, especially later in the second quarter and then into the third were well defended and challenged Mm -hmm. and they weren't terribly high percentage shots. Like you're talking about long mid range shots with a hand in his face and he's burying them. And sometimes you just got to tip your cap. So I, I don't take a huge negative away from that that brief eight minute stretch. I mean, there's going to be runs and the key is how do you bounce back from them? And I think what we saw in the third quarter and then into the fourth quarter before Milwaukee kind of pulled their starters was that the Pelicans responded well. All right. I'm dusting the cobwebs off NBA.com slash stats and it's new interface. It looks gorgeous, but I'm just getting my hands on the wheel here. Uh, Ali, some of our biggest concerns heading into the preseason, of course, is veteran leadership at the point guard position, depth uh, at the wing and uh, at the big positions, you know, Jackson Hayes, Nicola Melli, as well as how Kyra Lewis and Nikhail will play if they manage minutes at all. I know we're still pretty well set there with Lonzo, Eric Bledsoe, Josh Hart, JJ Redick, among others. With those question marks, do you feel better or worse than you did when the preseason started? I feel better, I want to say, because I think we saw Stan Van Gundy's um, system ran really well with the top eight guys. And there was, you know, glimpses, of course, from Nikhil and Jackson Hayes, too, to round out the 10. But yeah, you, you, you do worry at the end of the day about the depth of the team. Because, I mean, let's face it, if they lose Steven Adams or Zion Williamson, how are they going to fill those shoes? It's almost going to look like I fear what happened last year, right? You lose those guys, and suddenly that hole is just way too big to fill with anybody else sitting on a roster. But I don't want to get too negative because, like I said, I am hopeful. I'm more impressed now uh, in feeling about this team than I was you know, prior to the start of training camp. So I guess that bodes well because I think, like I said, they seem to really mesh on both ends of the ball, and they were able to carry out um everybody uh all their individual roles fulfill everything that Stan requires so for instance Lonzo Ball I thought he did a great job especially in that last game of just being a point guard but not being like an overly Chris Paul type of point guard something that he's not people but yet he did everything he needed to like for instance it wasn't just that he hit the open shots which is fantastic off of Stephen Adams screens I mean boy he got himself going with three easy, quick jumpers where he was wide open just because of a Steven Adams screen. So if he continues to be that aggressive, I don't care if he ever takes the ball to the hoop and gets to the foul line because that's all you really need is just for him to be aggressive, to be a threat on the floor. And I thought he did that well. So he showed that, to me, he looks like the guy that was pre-pandemic Lonzo. So that's a great sign. Eric Bledsoe, I thought he was a tenacious little defender. He, he, he made Drew Holiday lose his dribble a couple times, and even though he was a little slow offensively, he got some really good open looks that I think are going to drop. So I just like his fit in the, in, in the overall rotation. And, you know, everybody else you know about, Ingram, you know about Zion and Adams. Boy, 
I can't talk enough about him. I'm going to have an article posted soon. I've been promising this for a week, but boy, what he does offensively completely offsets, I think, the issues you have with spacing, at least for a regular season, right? In the playoffs, that might come up, rearing his ugly head, then you got Zion. And of course, Steven Adams not being able to hit a shot from outside the paint, likely. And of course, Bledsoe being real shaky from the perimeter. But during the regular season, I have no issues with it because Adams can pass with the best of them. He looks like Mark Gasol to me out there when he's catching the ball at the top of the key and then making the decision to find either the wide open man or, you know, do a nice dribble handoff where he's completely freeing up his teammate. So I, I think the offense is going to have no issues. And look, I mean, the offense, I know it was preseason, but look, I mean, they average what? The second highest amount of points were the best rated offense. And when you, when you combine that with low turnovers and you make a decent amount of threes and you're getting to the free throw line a lot and you're hitting and Zion's hitting his free throws now. So you got to think the percentage going to be higher. I mean, like I said, that bodes so much better than what I had pictured prior to the preseason. So yeah, very hopeful. Fish guess. And this is per 36 guess how many offensive rebounds Steven Adams is averaging through two preseason games per 36. Ooh. Um, Per 36, it might be oh, it might be double figures. It oh, is. Wow. It is. It's 10.3. Isn't that <laughs> insane? But uh, I just want to follow up uh, with, uh, on Ollie's comment before I make my way over to Fish. Uh, obviously, there's there's the pick and roll aspect of, of what he does for you as a screen setter. But in terms of passing, I think we underrated just what Steven Adams is able to do from the post. Uh, I want to say on the strong side of the floor, he tossed like it was a baseball uh, the ball across the floor through defenders to, I want to say it was Josh Hart in the mm-hmm. corner on the weak side, hit him for an open three. I, I think we underplay uh, just who Steven Adams can be as a passer from the post and how in that respect he can space the floor fish. That's for you. I'm done talking. Yeah. I know I talked no, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were tossing so quickly. <laughs> well, I, I didn't I'm ask that question. I unmute myself quickly enough. <laughs> so um, um, there are... There are two parts of like the Stephen Adams spacing question. I think, and I reiterated this like the previous podcast. I think when national media types talk about, oh, this team needs spacing, this team needs spacing, that is in terms of what the team would encounter when they're in the playoffs more than the regular season. Regular season NBA isn't playoffs. Um, there's more space if you just space out the players, even if those aren't necessarily shooters, because the game planning isn't so precise um, and teams run a lot more base defense when you're talking about during the regular season. So you can get away with spacing with subpar shooters. Uh, the second part about that is, yeah, I mean, there are – we think – when they discuss spacing, they think of spacing as how many players can you get outside of the paint? How many defenders can you get outside of the paint? And that's not necessarily what you need to have space to score. Space to score are avenues and lanes between defenders, which are sufficient for your players to get to the basket or to get high quality shots. You can get that kind of spacing with screens and with passing. And Steven Adams, as you said, he does both of those things. He's the best screener that this team has ever had. Um, the best screener that the team has had probably since um, Okafor in the, uh, at the end of the Chris Paul era. So, I mean, he's going to create space. And that's, I think that's one of the things we're going to see that really 
helps both Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, um, guys who are maybe not so good about getting their own separation on the first step on their own. Mm-hmm. You can do that instead with with good screening. Um, and then when they have just just enough of an advantage there, then they're going to get to the kind of high quality shots we're looking for. And I think we, especially for the regular season, we're too focused on three-point shooting, one. Two, the Pelicans were like seventh in the league in three-point shooting and three-point shooting percentage last year. What supreme shooter did they lose off of the team and then failed to replace? In, your, in their rotation, they replaced Eric Bledso- uh, Drew Holiday with Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe in the regular season is every bit as good of a shooter as Drew Holiday is behind the arc over the last three years. I was I, I was on Twitter and some Milwaukee Buck fan was like, oh, you're going to see how Eric Bledsoe is. And I'm like, over the last three years and last a thousand attempts each, like one of them shooting 33.8% and the <laughs> other shooting 33.9%. Like it's it's beyond microscopic at this point, the difference in their quality of shooting for a regular season. So the Pelicans didn't lose shooting and they had plenty of shooting last year. So I, I think the spacing concerns are completely overblown. I'm trying to do our player comparison tool in real time uh, as, as fish goes over the comparisons between Eric Bledsoe and Drew Holiday. I know that you guys have covered that at nauseum. I'm just trying to kill time while it comes up. It's a little bit, one of the slower interfaces. Uh, it's not helping me out. So we're going to go over to some questions uh, with Ali while we wait in the meantime. Uh, obviously we talked about the, the roles uh, of the depth um, or the lack thereof in some respect, although you came away impressed with Nicolo Melli. One of the things we haven't talked about is the Pelicans, uh, have a lot of young talent in the backcourt and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis. These guys are going to be the future. Uh, I don't necessarily think that J.J. Redick is going to be here past this season, maybe even past the trade deadline. Uh, and Eric Bledsoe, I feel about the same way. He's got two maximum guaranteed years on his contract and then only $4 million guaranteed uh, in, I want to say, 2022-2023. So he could also be a candidate to be moved. So if Kyra and Nikhil are able to show us enough, they might earn those minutes this year. Ali, what have you seen from those two youngsters so far? Well, we only saw Nikhil for one game, but I thought he looked fantastic. I mean, I should let Fish talk about Nikhil, right? But, um, yeah, I mean, I saw a guy that's more under control, felt more comfortable within the uh, flow of the offense. And in talking to him after that game, he had said it's good to have a role, right? Stan Van Gundy before the season went up to him. I'm sure people have heard this story by now, but if you haven't, he asked Nikhil, what position do you think is your best on the floor? And he says shooting guard. And I think that makes a lot of sense. While Nikhil can make a lot of passes, and of course, if you think back to summer league, we saw that, right? These cross-court passes or the lobs to Jackson. But it didn't translate very well in the regular season where there was a lot more turnovers than there were assists, it felt like, on a lot of nights. So I, I feel like he's now kind of in a more natural position where he's got a more, I feel like, a combo guard. I think that's truly what his future role is in the uh, league. But I love what I saw at him. Like I said, he's stronger, so he can defend a little bit better. He now knows what's going on, right? He's not lost um, on either end of the floor. So I feel like that if Stan Van Gundy wants to go to nine or ten men, that he should definitely and not hesitate to use Nikhil because he may be the second-best catch-and-shoot three-point shooter that this team has, obviously behind J.J. Redick, of course. 
Um, as a rookie, you know, he shot about 40% from there. He was one of the best rookies. So I feel like every that, that, that fact kind of gets lost because we saw him chuck up so many bad, ill-advised shots, you know, right? He's playing 10 minutes. He's launching seemingly 12, 13 shots last year. But I don't think that's going to be the case this year. He's just going to shoot when he's open and take a lot of good shots. So that's all you can ask for. Uh, you got to be excited about that. As for Kyra, though, Preston, honestly, I mean, while we saw him really play mistake-free basketball and he, of course, flashed that speed that's just almost unparalleled in this league, I just don't foresee him getting any kind of regular rotation minutes, at least in the first half, provided the team stays healthy. You know, there's just no way he's going to know on how to run an organized offense for Stan Van Gundy, who has made, who has said that's going to be the biggest key for him with his point guards this year. That's what he expects Lonzo to, or he hopes that Lonzo does more effectively than really anything else on the court. So I don't, I just don't foresee it. Right. You're a rookie that has barely played ball since last March and he only spent a couple of years in Alabama and, you know, he's still got to get stronger, bigger, learn the league. So no, I, Unfortunately, think we're just not going to see him hardly ever. All right. Well, thank you, Ali, for killing some time while I looked up some stats and Fish uh, just tweeted uh, some. Drew shot 33.8% behind the arc last season on 1,065 attempts. Bledsoe shot 33.9% on 965 attempts over that same span. And I just went on the B-Ball Index interface. I recommend that you all follow it if you haven't already. Uh, so basically, catch and shoot, and from the corner, Eric Bledsoe was quite simply horrid last year, shooting 28.9% and 24.1, which graded him F at a 7th percentile and 4th percentile in the entire NBA. However, on pull-up three-pointers, he rated in the 91st percentile, 39.6%. Uh, so in transition, that's going to benefit the, the Pelicans uh, hugely, as, as we like to say. So talk about some of those numbers, Fish and what that could mean in terms of Bledsoe's floor spacing versus Drew's. Um, I, don't, I don't take a huge amount of stock in how well he shoots in catch-and-shoot versus um, pull-ups um, over the course of a season. Um, the numbers you cited um, were from a tweet. Um, that's actually over a three-year span for both of them. So they're both within literally 0.1%. Um, in terms of their conversion rate. And so I think um, largely we're going to see that Eric Bledsoe fills in for Drew Holiday rather well on the offensive end. He's probably a little less effective as a catch-and-shoot player, but more effective as a a player creating his own three-point shot off the dribble. Um, And Bledsoe was a vastly better finisher at the rim um, last year and um, in pick and roll. Uh, the biggest, I guess, the biggest loss the Pelicans have is Bledsoe is noticeably shorter, not not smaller. I would I would guess he probably weighs more than Drew does, um, but and and he's every bit as strong, but he's so much shorter that you can't slide him on big wings like the Pelicans did a lot with holiday. And so Brandon Ingram or Josh Hart are going to get a lot of those assignments. And honestly, Lonzo ball might be getting a lot of those assignments as well. Um, so it, I, I don't think it changes what the Pelicans do on defense going from drew to Eric Bledsoe nearly as much as how it's going to affect the team on offense. I'm, I mean, it doesn't affect the offense nearly as much as it'll affect the defense. 
All right. Some of those uh, isolation scoring uh, numbers that Fish was referring to. This is on B-Bell Index. Total isolations per 75 positions uh, possessions. Uh, Eric Bledsoe ranked in the 80th percentile versus 85th for Drew. Um, total ISO impact per 75 possessions. Drew was in the 96th percentile. Eric Bledsoe was in the 93rd percentile. So like Fish said, very, very close, comparable in that regard. All right, Ali, we did have some news yesterday. Uh, the deadline for restricted free, uh, rookie free agents uh, to to be extended. Wow, I'm, I'm doing really well with this. I've been out of the game for a long time, friends. <laughs> the deadline passed for Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart to sign their extensions, which means that they will face restricted free agency next summer, which could be a problem for the Pelicans because it looks like nine teams will have maximum available uh, salary space. But with that being said, a lot of those teams are probably going to be high up in the lottery and are going to dedicate five to $10 million dollars to their incoming draft selection. So, Ali, what does that say? Obviously, we didn't expect Lonzo to sign because he already was quoted as saying that he expects himself to have a most improved type season, and that's going to get him near whatever maximum uh, amount of money he can make. But Josh Hart was the one that surprised us more because we've seen some of the salary figures get thrown around for OG Ananobi. Uh, We think that might be a little rich for Josh Hart, but this might indicate that he's expecting to be worth that much next summer. Right. Yeah. As you mentioned, Lonzo, you know, I said this last spring, right, when we were doing podcasts right after the pandemic shut things down that I didn't expect for Lonzo to even, you know, negotiate the table if it wasn't starting at around 20 million per on his extension. And you got to think that figure is probably going to go up even a little bit more, get closer to the max for him. And Griff's smart. I mean, he's right about this. It's same way with Ingram. Just go ahead and prove it to me. If you showed me the stuff, you know, the goods and I can rely on you and you're looking like a big cornerstone or at least a big part of the future here in New Orleans where you're a good contributor, uh, then we will sit down and, you know, discuss reasonable terms. So there's no rush to do that this season, right, with Lonzo Ball because you're going to end up paying him what I think is going to be the same whether you sign him now or later because Lonzo Ball's demands are not coming down, right? You, You just felt that coming from a guy with, you know, his history and probably what he thinks of himself, second round pick, et cetera, et cetera. So no issues there. But yeah, with Josh Hart, you know, I was hoping that Griff would have signed him because you see the value of what he brings to this team. Um, I feel like in order to replace him, you're going to have to spend a lot of money in free agency that you don't want to do for a player of that caliber to where he's more a presence than what he brings in numbers on the court. So, for instance, Josh Hart, I think he's got really two outstanding traits uh, in basketball speak, and that is, of course, his rebounding and his corner three-point shooting. Because other than that, everything else is really average. right? He's a good defender, so I don't want to take that away from him. But overall, he looks like a guy that should be your sixth man, maybe even seventh, on a really good team. So you can understand from Griff's perspective of not wanting to possibly pay him like some of these outrageous you know, numbers we saw, you know, go to Marcus Morris or most recently yesterday, Luke Kennard. And I was surprised by Derek White. Yeah, exactly. But Derek White is the one that stands out for me because he got what four million or four years, 73 million from the Spurs. And I think Derek White is not a starter on a good team in this league. So for him to get that money, you've got to think Josh Hart, at least his agent was thinking, wow, I think I need to get at least 60 million for my guy. And Griff obviously doesn't see it that way. And that's unfortunate because next year somebody may offer it as you've just, you know, made that point, right? Teams are going to have money. There's going to be a lot less now big fish in the market, right? A lot of them signed extensions or are expected to stay with their teams like Kawhi Leonard. 
So suddenly you're going to be trying to pick these versatile role players uh, and pay them big money. And while I don't think Josh Hart's going to land, like, say, a Jeremiah Grant contract like he got with the Pistons, pay him $20 million per, I do think that somebody in the open market is going to toss 14 or $15 million at Josh, especially if he shows even some more improvement, right? I thought last year he showed better numbers, more consistency than he did uh, two years ago in his last year with the Lakers. So say his three-point percentage goes up to around 38%, and he's still giving you that defense, um, that toughness, and, of course, the rebounding, and maybe he's pressed into a bigger role because of injuries. Well, suddenly he becomes a lot more valuable player in other GMs' minds, and they will be willing to give him that type of contract. And suddenly Griff is going to have to pay that in order to keep him when he could have, I feel like, honestly, you offer him four uh, years and say around 48 to 50 million. I have to think that Josh might have signed for it. So I have a feeling that Griff, if he was going to sign him this year to an extension, was probably thinking a lot less. Like, say, Kuzma money, something that's like basically MLE money, 10 million per. So it's unfortunate. And because of this, honestly, I don't think Josh Hart is going to be a Pelican beyond this season. And that, and that really sucks. Well, let's let's get into that with Fish. Before we do that, I just want to run down a list of some guys who might be available next summer. Again, only nine teams. Some of them are going to re-sign their own guys. They're going to spend a good amount of capital on the draft class because uh, they're likely going to be uh, drafting in the top 10. Not all of them necessarily. But here are some players who could be available. Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Blake Griffin, uh, Mike uh, Conley, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan. Otto Porter, Drew Holiday, LaMarcus Aldridge, Victor Oladipo, Goran Dragic. Uh, a lot of these players have player options, and of course they're they're uh, closer to the end of their career than they are to the forefront of it. But with that being said, those players are going to take up a lot of capital possibly with those teams if they're not re-signed as we expect Drew Holiday to be. Now let's get to the crux of this. Ali just prefaced it at the end. Fish, because Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball did not sign their extensions, what does that say about their future with the organization? All right, listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. Take a look in the mirror. I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Have you ever pulled your nose hair out with your fingers? Ouch, that might hurt worse than nicking your balls. Yes, you will get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Thanks, Manscaped, for keeping our pubes trimmed and hairs in our holes looking nice. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off. What are you waiting for? Go whack those weeds. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect with many teams strutting their stuff. You might now be at a game this year. Either way, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say anything at really? all. Really? You don't think that Hart's probably maybe leaving, huh? No, I don't. 
Uh, the Pelicans didn't sign Brandon Ingram to an extension last summer before he entered He's a last max year guy. He's a max. Josh Hart is not a max guy. Yeah, but uh, here, here's the thing: is that the Pelicans are are betting right now that the cudgel that they can use of restricted free agency on Josh Hart will sufficiently diminish his market so that they don't have to pay a premium to bring him back. That doesn't mean they're not going to pay him. They're just that just means that they would rather the market set his price and then they might, you know, pay the market price um, if he signs a decent offer sheet with somebody and they'll just match it. Or alternatively, um, he'll he'll come back with an offer sheet that maybe is a little less than desirable to to match. And the Pelicans will maybe increase the money a little bit, but lop off a player option or something else you know, that they don't want on it. Josh Hart's probably going to get around the mid-level exception. So 440, 444 um, next summer from some team or less. Um, really? And with that, the Pelicans are, are, are perfectly reasonable to wait because we've seen it all the time. The NBA doesn't play, the NBA doesn't pay for defense and they don't pay for rebounding. They pay for offense. And Josh Hart hasn't produced offensively sufficiently. So I think we're all reading way too much in the fact that he hasn't been extended before this. Um, it doesn't mean that he's not um, a core, well, not a core piece, that he's not an important piece that the team's not going to retain. Um, I, I, I just think that the Pelicans are, are looking at the situation and they say, given the fact that um, – He's going to be a restricted free agent and he's not the kind of restricted free agent that historically gets a big offer sheet. We are best served in terms of our flexibility to take him into next season. And then we'll use the restricted free agency to the best of our ability to um, depress his price. Essentially. Ali, uh, We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
gate. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to say, I just want to bring up one name to you, Alan Crabb. 2016 has so much money, he shot 39% from three. And he got a ridiculous contract that he never even came up close to living to, obviously. But I, I can yeah. see somebody throwing that money if Josh Hart has a much better shooting season. So I just ask you, why take that chance? I don't see in any world where he's going to lower his market value this season compared to what Griff could have signed him now. That, that's, he just, has, that's just my argument. If, if, if he has another season where he shoots 34 35% behind the arc and he's again – you know, the offensive player that he has been, and he mm-hmm. continues to be a great defender and a great locker room guy and a, a superb rebounder for his position. He's going to get around the MLE. I mean, you talked about Alan Crabb and you mentioned the fact that he nearly shot 40%. Mm-hmm. And that was at a time when the league, you know, is extremely value overvaluing shooting mm-hmm. one dimensional shooting players. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the the contract Bertans just got mm-hmm. and, and less, and, and the thing is, is that the Pelicans, there's already three seasons of history that will tell another team, even if Josh Hart has a great shooting season and he shoots 37 or 38 percent, that, yeah, he's probably closer somewhere between, oh, he might be a 36 percent shooter now. And I, I, I don't see a situation where he's going to get that big offer like Alan Crabb got or um, what was the guard who got some ridiculous offer with the Nets? Um, that got matched. He like he like got a. I can't remember his name. He had terrible hair. Tyler. Tyler 
Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, he had uh, terrible hair. That's what I remember. Um, <laughs> so um, he got, he got some ridiculous offer that the Nets ended up matching, and then they traded him later. Um, I I don't see Josh Hart getting that kind of offer. One, because I don't expect that he's going to have that massive improvement shooting. And two, because he's not going to have the opportunity because he's still going to be at all times like the fourth or fifth option when he's on the floor offensively. Ali, I'm I'm going to give you – Let me just add this one quick thing, Preston. I I just feel like that if if he was signable at four years and say around $50 why not do that and not have to go through the risk of next offseason – when if it ends up being say four forty four, like what you just said, fish six million more overall on the lifetime of that contract, I feel like is a bet worth making. That's all. That that's where my argument stems from. He must have wanted more. Is is what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, exactly. Let, let me just ask that. you this, Ali. Yes or no? Uh, if you are just any of the thirty teams, you've got twenty million dollars annually to spend. Uh, just give me. Would you pay Josh Hart more than this player? These are tier two free agents, all under thirty years old. Uh, just yes or no, Tim Hardaway. That's a good one. Probably not. No. Dennis Schroeder. Yes. Evan Fournier. Yes. Kelly Oubre. Hmm. No. Will Barton. Oh yes. All right, so here's just some intriguing names that you're going to see. So we're we're not anticipating Josh Hart is going to score, you know, 15 points a game, shoot 40% from three. His main value to the Pelicans is an energy guy, a great defender, a great rebounder, a great uh, team guy, a culture builder. So I do think— uh, You just what nailed it, Preston. That's my crux, and that's why I think Chris Connor was trying to get through in our DM chat yesterday. He is kind of that lifeblood. He could be, I feel like, the Udonis Haslam of New Orleans, right? You, If you're trying to build a culture— You've got to have people that set examples, right? And I just feel like there's nobody better than Josh Hart. So that's why I pay him that extra $6 million, whatever, if it could have been had at $6 million more. Yeah, so if both these guys live up to the expectations that we've set for them for this season, there's no reason they won't be back. Just looking at the Pelicans' books next season, if you lop off Eric Bledsoe and J.J. Redick, which I expect the Pelicans will, it's not a guarantee, but if the Pelicans do, they only have $70 million guaranteed, and the Los Angeles Lakers' first-round pick is has some pretty massive protections on it. I want to say 8 through 30, so that's probably not going to convert until 2022. So the Pelicans could potentially have plenty of, of space available available to give Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart a rich payday. But once you do that, that's your team going forward, and that's a conversation for another day. Let's get to some of our questions, and we got a lot today. Thank you so much for Finn the Human, Charles LaRocca, who gave us some great ones. All right, Fish, in terms of setting your expectations as we head into the opening night game against the Tampa Bay Raptors, this is from Tejeda, who always <laughs> asks questions in threes, and I appreciate uh, that about him. <laughs> when determining your expectations for this season, Fish, how do you process them? How do you set up your expectations? Where do you have the Pelicans uh, finishing? And how did you get there? Um, wow. Hold on. There were so many questions there. Um, <laughs> I, think what I told you I'm rusty, is, man. I, I, think I'm at, I think what he's asking is where do I have them finishing the West and why? Have I summarized it sufficiently? And yes. How did you determine that? Okay. So um, I have the Pelicans finishing sixth in the West. I have no wow. idea which five teams are going to be ahead of them, except for it'll probably be both Los Angeles teams, um, at least one of Portland at Denver, um, 
and another, uh, I'm sure there's, there's a team and Dallas, um, those teams will be ahead of them. And uh, it's, it's very simple. I got there because I've seen what Zion can do um, now in the preseason. And I saw what he could do last preseason before the injury things popped up. We've seen what Brandon Ingram can do. And I think that if you have two guys that are that good, that are going to be two, you know, top 30 in the NBA, top 25 in the NBA players, which I think that both of them are capable of being this year, um, then you're going to, you're going to win more games than you lose. Um, The Pelicans will have matchup issues with the elite teams because they do lack, you know, a big wing, but um, in the regular season with Stan Van Gundy as their coach with Steven Adams and with Zion and Brandon Ingram, they're going to punish teams. They are going to execute and they're going to, they're going to just beat up on the bad teams around the league. They're just going to pound them into submission. The offense won't be pretty sometimes, but when you're rebounding 30% of your own misses and you're getting more layups and free throws out of that, the pace will be slow. Um, but you're going, you're, you're, you're getting so many high quality, high quality offensive looks there. You're there. The Pelicans are literally, they're just going to be a sledgehammer, just pounding away Mm -hmm. at the rest of the league and the bad teams and the bad teams are not going to be ready for the physicality that they're going to receive from the Pelicans, um, from the attention to detail that Stan Van Gundy is going to enforce from a, from a coaching perspective. And they have a sufficient number of vets around their two stars um, to execute that. And I I expect like the Pelicans are going to have a ridiculous winning percentage against bad teams like something that we look at that seems obscene. Like they might win like 75% of their games against teams under 500. And if they can just tread water against the teams over 500, um, they they might approach, you know, winning 60-ish percent of their games, which would be, you know, for an 82-game pace, close to 50 wins. If And the only way that doesn't happen in my mind is if Brandon Ingram or Zion suffers, you know, continuous um, – injuries or if Steven Adams is out for a long period of time. Um, And I'm not going to bet on injuries on Zion again. Um, Steven Adams has been incredibly consistent in terms of his ability to play. And, um, and that's that the Pelicans are just going to pound bad teams into submission every single night. I'm I'm going to address this real quick. Did you pick up on that? Morning fish is an optimistic fish. He picked the Pelican <laughs> six in the West. I, I'm I'm flabbergasted, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did want to get whoa, in whoa, here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I picked it. I, I said on a podcast like early on um, this off season that I think the Pelicans will finish sixth. And that I was, thought that was just when you were given like they're super optimistic if everything goes right. No, no. I was I was not being super optimistic. Oh, okay. I, I am. Then I, I absolutely her. believe that if. Zion and Brandon Ingram are who we think we are. They are. And I think we've seen that they are. Um, and the Pelicans stay reasonably healthy. They will be top six in the West. That's awesome. Cool. Now, I want to go over this with Ali, uh, the difference between last year's Pelicans and this year's Pelicans, because one of our next questions kind of coincides with the difference between Alvin Gentry and Stan Van Gundy. And I think the principal difference, both of them were pretty candid, but uh, Stan Van Gundy just has... 
I don't know, more an air of accountability about himself. And I think that's going to transfer to his players. You routinely hear in the postgame press conferences, uh, Alvin seemingly, in my opinion, kind of threw his players under the, under the bus a fair bit of the time. Not all the time, but a fair bit of the time. You know, we didn't make shots. We turned the ball over too much. Stuff that could be placed on the players instead of placed on himself. But but the crux of why the Pelicans were losing the past two years all came down to clutch. They played in 45 and 41 games in the last two seasons. And it wasn't their defense that cracked under the pressure as much as it was their offense. Their offense broke down. Their system uh, broke down. They played isolation basketball. They were 26th in 2018-19 with uh, 17 wins and 28 losses. And they were 29th last season with a wild negative 23.3 net rating 13 wins to just 28 losses that's going to be the principal difference this year ali and that's going to be the difference between the pelicans finishing 14th in the west or sixth as fish says if they can become one of the best teams in the clutch if stan van gundy can produce that kind of success this is going to be a team that has that kind of threshold you're not going to get an argument from me because i just wrote yesterday three predictions no one's talking about regarding the pelicans and that was my last one I said they're going to be much improved in the clutch. And I, for, a lot, you know, for a lot of the reasons that you think are going to be um, areas of improvement this year, right? I think, number one, the young core, they're just going to be mature, right? When, when you get a little bit older, get more experience, get a little more confidence, you start just making better decisions on the court. And I think that's going to be especially true of both Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Number two, I think there's no doubt that Van Gundy's system, which has clearly more or more clearly defined roles and just just using right offensive sets, calling out plays that players are going to feel comfortable executing them. So you're not going to have this. Hey, you got to go create. And that's where I feel like led to a lot of turnovers or just bad shots. Right. So um, that that's going to be a big key in the improvement in clutchments. And lastly, I just feel like the new guys they added. They're just going to add that stability, both in Bledsoe and um, Stephen Adams. You know, when I looked at Bledsoe's numbers in the clutch, it kind of surprised me. He was money. You know, for all of his playoff disappointments that he's had the last two, three years in Milwaukee, well, it wasn't just because it was, you know, just due to pressure because in clutch minutes, he actually had stats that were either equal to his regular season production or even better. So I feel like that's something the Pelicans didn't get with Drew, but – in that playoff year 2017 and 18 and maybe one year before that because otherwise drew was such a roller coaster guys i mean i don't have to tell you you watch the games you know when when he played well the pelicans won when he didn't they seemingly lost way more times than they should have so they really relied on him well with, with that suddenly gone and you replace him with a lot more stability and like i said you're adding the growth of the players the young core and stan van gundy's system that i think is just better suited to a young team that clearly needs it. I think you have to expect this team to really jump up in their, uh, you know, last five minutes of play, say up to at least, you know, be somewhere in the middle of the rankings, right? Come season end, because it's invariable. You're going to get to the free throw line more, take smarter shots, better shots, be more set defensively, limit the turnovers, limit uh, second chance points for opposing teams, but you're pounding the glass. It's going to lead to a lot more wins in close games. All right, let's get back into our questions. Uh, we That was from Tanner Hoisington. I hope I pronounced that uh, correctly. This one's fun. Uh, also from Tejeda, what are the top three things the casual fan does or say that makes you shake your head? I think in terms of the national media, we would say the, the overarching theme of spacing with Stephen Adams and Zion. Zion needs spacing. Zion needs spacing. 
But Fish, what are the top three things the casual fan does that annoys you? They watch the ball. That's the biggest thing. They don't. I mean, if you want to see how defense is going, you don't watch the ball. You watch usually like uh, the biggest issue is the defender who isn't physically involved in the pick and roll, which is a lot of times the big man. Um, And then the other thing is stuff that's happening on the weak side or things like that. What's happening rotationally that that's going to matter within a matter of seconds that isn't being communicated. And that's actually one of the biggest things watching the Pelicans this preseason that has given me a lot of hope is how you can see um, switches, multiple switches being communicated between players and executed. Um, routinely away from the ball and also is the thing that makes me hate Jackson Hayes. I was going to say that. <laughs> he had, a, he had, he had a, a, a play in the Miami. Yeah. In the Miami game where Miami was rotating the ball towards the bottom of the screen and they had the ball at the top and then they pass it to the wing and then they pass it to the L to that, to the guy in the corner and Jackson Hayes was literally just chasing the ball. And one of like the basic basketball fundamental is, is the, ba- the ball moves faster than players do. And we have to know that. And he was literally, he was chasing the ball like a cat chasing a laser pointer. And at no point was he, a, he in a position to make a play. And rather than allow a moderately contested three-point shot if he closed out properly. He's just chasing the ball and taking a seven-footer so far away from the rim and never has his feet under him. And then the Miami got like an uncontested layup out of it. And Charlie and I both, Charlie, um, obviously he played as as a big man when he was in high school. And I think he played at a, at a smaller college as well. Mm-hmm. And myself who played as big men in, in basketball, we're watching that like, what are you doing? Like he was playing defense like fans, like casual fans watch the game where he was literally with his physical body just chasing the ball to nothing but negative results. And when I watched that, I was like, when you see stuff like that, it's so outside of what you expect from an, a professional basketball player that you can just see a, a situation like that and you just know like he doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. It's completely not there. Um, that, I mean, that is probably my number one, number two, and number three thing is, is stop watching the ball and watch the other stuff that is happening because so much of the basketball is happening without the ball in somebody's hands. All right. This will just be a yes or no question unless you guys disagree. It's from Ego Trip. He says, most impactful new face on the team. Of course, that's probably between Eric Bledsoe, Kyra Lewis, uh, Wenyan Gabriel, and Steven Adams. I think we can all agree it's Steven Adams. Yes. All right. Perfect. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask this to Ali. It might be a fish question, uh, but it's from Liridon Ramadani and also Tom Wade. Uh, basically, it's just about how much can Lonzo possibly earn? Let's say if he doesn't earn an all-star nod or finish on an all-NBA team, what's the most he can ask the Pelicans to pay him next summer? Oh, he could easily ask for the max if he produces 
either a most improved season or something close to it where he's in the voting. Um, he has a strong season from start to finish. And he posts, you know, averages of, say, 14.77. And like I said, all of his weaknesses are largely gone. And he's just reliable. I mean, I don't think he has to play at an all-star level to earn a max contract. We've seen it time and again. Teams but pay. What's the number, Ollie? Well, I would say I was hoping it would be around twenty million last spring, but now I'm thinking it's going to be higher. I think that he's going to ask for something about twenty-four million a year. Like I said, something probably just south of the max he'll probably agree to. Now, Fish, sorry if I'm, if I'm not being clear. Obviously, uh, Brandon Ingram just signed a five-year, $158 million uh, extension, but he also finished on an all-star team. Just in terms of the rules as related to a salary cap, if you do not finish on an all-star team and you're Lonzo Ball, how much can you physically be offered by a team? Uh, it'd be 25% of the cap in his situation. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the exact cap number up but it's around um 15 million next year so it'd be close to 29 million mm -hmm. um for his first year and then with the pelicans could offer eight percent raises on top of that um so it's not cheap um i would expect that lonzo ball and his representation is expecting uh average annual value um of somewhere in the range of 25 million mm -hmm. so less than his max um, but a whole lot of money, like four, 100. Um, I expect he's going to get an offer sheet from somewhere that isn't the Pelicans. If it isn't clear that he is worth max money and the Pelicans should have no questions and just, you know, as soon as free agency opens, you know, you know, drop the boat on him, which um, to Ollie's point, it, it would probably be more like he averaged 18, eight and eight, with um, shooting, you know, close to 40% behind the arc, um, cuts his turnovers down substantially, um, is a borderline all-defensive player. Um, he can do all that and not make an all-star team or an all-NBA team, and he can still say, I'm, I'm worth the max or close to it. Um, but I expect he's going to get an offer sheet from some team, um, and it, it's always felt like it's going to be the Knicks if the Knicks don't get a point guard in the – 2021 draft um, of four years between 80 and 120 million dollars um, and 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 I tweeted it last night after the deadline passed if the Pelicans are not already certain that they want to resign Lonzo Ball um, next summer by the time it gets to the trade deadline on March 25th I think that the Pelicans realistically need to move on from him rather than see him potentially walk for nothing. Because I think that they could get something of value from him on the trade market because some team would be trading for his bird rights and his restricted rights going into free agency, which means they would likely have a more team-friendly deal if they were in a situation where they were planning on making a substantial offer sheet to him in the summer. And by March, a lot of those teams are going to have pinpointed a lot of their targets they haven't you know they haven't conspired too much they haven't colluded too much behind the scenes um but but they have the players that they're going to target and there's going to be teams who have already said by march lonzo ball is one of the guys we're looking at chasing in free agency and if the pelicans aren't certain that it that by that time that he is 
he's going to be resigned and he's going to be a Pelican beyond this season, then it it's it's the best time to move on from him. Because if not, you're going to have a situation like Bogdanovich where he gets a very undesirable contract to match from somebody else. And then you have the potential that you're going to either A, let him walk away for nothing, or B, you match the contract and then you have a contract that is potentially very difficult to trade if not. I mean, no trade, as we've seen, no contracts untradeable, but is very difficult and potentially costly to trade if it doesn't work out. All right, Ollie, quickly, uh, this is from Will Imbo. Who would win in a hypothetical American Gladiator contest among the Ameri- uh, uh, the entire squad? And before you default to Zion and Steven Adams, remember, there's a lot of agility in the American Gladiator contest. Uh, some of the the contests that I remember, Breakthrough, Earthquake, Gauntlet. Uh, Gauntlet's a big one. Hang Tough, Hit and Run, Human Cannonball. The Joust would be one that would obviously favor Steven Adams and Zion. But just the maze is something that might... Uh, you know, be more a Kyra Lewis matchup in terms of all of them together, Ollie, which Pelican do you think prevails in a contest? If you go through each one of those contests and tally them all together. Hmm. I mean, am I choosing, I guess then down between Zion Williamson and Steven Adams, right? I well, mean- I mean, if you're talking about the, the, the rock climbing challenge, that might be more conducive to a smaller, more agile player, as would uh, the maze or powerball, something that that favors speed uh, rather than sheer size and force. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. I could foresee maybe Josh Hart doing well in a lot of this stuff because he's a lot stronger than people give him credit for. And I think he's got I mean, the agility to do a lot there, of the. Man. What's that? It's Eric Bledsoe. I, he's he. Yeah, Eric Bledsoe's the one, man. <laughs> All right, I'll go with that. That sounds good enough to me. Yeah. All right, let's I do a gladiator in twenty years or something, man. So I don't know. I don't remember that stuff too well. I will tell you guys now that even though I am small, I am feisty, and I actually was in line to be in the Hulk Hogan American Gladiator. I want to say it was like two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Uh, I was in New York. I went to the auditions. I made it to the finals. And then you're basically on a waiting list. They're like, uh, here's like the weeks that we could call you. And I never got the call, but I was on the list. And wow. and I was in line. I did something like, I don't remember, like 30 pull-ups. And we all sprinted so hard that we were all vomiting by the end of it. It was really intense. It was fun. Uh, and, and another look behind the scene, these American gladiators, it's not just uh, about fitness. Every one of them has to have some kind of like heart-wrenching story. Uh, your scores don't matter nearly as much as uh, whatever you tell the interviewer at the end. So just a little look behind the scenes of those types of events. Let's get to the preview for the Pelicans opening night affair, once again, with the Tampa Bay Raptors. I'm never going to get tired of hearing that. That's so cool that I have two teams within like 45 minutes of me. Uh, <laughs> Fish, obviously, uh, Marcus Gasol is gone. Serge Ibaka is gone. However, they have added uh, Aaron Baines, uh, which some of us were hopeful the Pelicans could add at a, at a moderate price. Matt Thomas is a lethal shooter. Of course, you've got Kyle Lowry. Pascal Siakam is going to be a matchup nightmare for the Pelicans. I think that's got to be all of our principal concern. Fred Van Fleet, OG Ananobi, uh, fresh off that $75 million extension. How do you see the Pelicans faring on opening night against these Raptors, Fish? Um, I, I think they'll do well. Uh, against the Raptors, it's going to be a, a pretty interesting matchup to watch because the Raptors don't play with a lot of size in a general sense. 
Um, I think uh, Anunoby actually plays the four for him, if I remember correctly, in terms of how Siakam, I think, right, Fish? Oh, no, Siakam. So, but Siakam isn't necessarily a superb rebounder either. Right. Um, and as long as they sit on his left hand for that spin, um, I mean, that, that'll be an interesting thing to watch for, for Zion. Did he watch... Uh, enough of the playoffs to see that Siakam has one move that he's going to go to um, and take that away. <coughs> but I, I think this is a good, a good situation to see because Toronto is going to spread the Pelicans out um, both with Baines and Siakam to some point and, and, Yunobi and Van Vliet. I mean, they have, they have shooters, so they're going to spread. Oh, it sounds like we lost we uh, fish. We lost fish. Well, I'll take over for him. Yeah, I I think it, we match up really well. And you just look at what you know. Fred Van Fleet usually been been a nemesis. I think Eric Bledsoe is going to do a great job sticking to him. Um, Kyle Lowry, of course, you got to account for him. But I think if you can slow down at least one of those two guards, I think that's going to give the Pelicans an outstanding opportunity. Look, I think the loss of Ibaka and Gasol is huge for Toronto. I think that. They're definitely outside of my top four in the East on to finish. I, I think I have them like sixth or seventh, honestly. So I think they're going to come down a little bit. I think Siakam is going to prove to be a little bit overrated um, compared to what the feeling was about him coming off the championship. So I think the Pelicans will fare really well. I mean, they're not going to beat themselves, right, the Raptors. So you want to stop them from getting easy baskets in transition. It's the usual game plan. So you yourself have to turn over the ball a lot less. Well, thankfully, the Pelicans have made that their mission. And if they just clean up the glass, make their fair shots, I think they're going to be right there, you know, chance to win it. Because how are they going to slow down, you know, both um, Brandon Ingram and Zion? I, I just foresee that causing a little bit of a matchup problem for the Raptors. Uh, I just think, Fish, that uh, with Nick Nurse and with Kyle Lowry in tow, that uh, th- this is a, a tried-and-true team. Obviously, they lose a lot, and Ibaka and Marcus Hall was such a pivotal uh, anchor in their defense. But uh, this game's definitely going to be close because Zion's going to be able to score at will, just as Pascal Siakam probably will be able to. Uh, Kyle Lowry will have some tricks up his sleeve for Lonzo Ball and the Pelicans, and it's going to be tight. And when you get down to those last two to five minutes, the Raptors have proven it. And the Pelicans simply have not yet, and they're going to have to discover themselves as the season transpires. But on opening night, do you think they'll have enough fish to upset the Raptors? I do, because um, I think this is a situation where the Pelicans' greatest strength, which is their ability to attack the rim, um, runs up against an opponent where I know that a lot of Pelican fans really wanted Aaron Baines, who... um, had a career shooting year at like 34 years old. Um, and, but we're going to, we're going to find on, we're going to find tomorrow night that, Oh, he's not really the rim protector you thought he was. And the Pelicans are going to have a field day at the basket. That's what's going to happen. Um, and, and between Zion and Adams, both attacking the glass um, and attacking the hoop and going to the hoop, I think the Pelicans are going to get a ton of points in the paint against this defense. Um, the, the Toronto has a very small backcourt with those two guys. Um, they don't have a big wing that's a big scorer um, because Siakam's more of a power forward. And I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup in terms of how Zion is going to approach the game defensively. Hopefully he takes that as an individual challenge. Um, and in the end, I think the Pelicans will simply overwhelm 
Toronto by going to the hoop. And I'm, I'm against every team that isn't a massive team or a team that, um, you know, is a, is a clear cut um, playoff contender. I mean, not a playoff contender, a championship contender. I'm, I'm going to continue to default to that until I see, until I have evidence to the contrary. I think the Pelicans are going to just, the hoop's 10 feet tall and we have two massive people who can go and get the ball and can attack it and you need to stop us. All right, their discipline will certainly be tested first against the Raptors, then Miami Heat on Christmas Day, and then the San Antonio Spurs. Just a reminder, uh, that game is tomorrow. It'll be 6.30 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern Time. It's time for plugs. Uh, We'll start with Ali. What do you have to plug, sir? Uh, Not a whole lot, really. I mean, I just released that three preseason kind of predictions that, uh, like I said, nobody's really talking about. But I want to get a big piece out on Stephen Adams today. I've gotten half of it done where I took a lot of video snapshots from the preseason, first preseason game against the Heat, but I want a few more from this last one against the Bucks, so that'll be up soon. And of course, look for you know our game coverage for the Raptors. All right, Fish, what about you, sir? You didn't give us our over-under picks, man. I wanted yeah. to be there. <laughs> I know. I just what? saw the clock, and I know that Ali has to leave in 10 minutes. So give us your over-under pick, uh, Fish, but but be modest with your time threshold. Okay, so I think the Pelicans over-under is right around 500. It's either 35.5 or 36.5. I have the Pelicans over that. I think the Pelicans are going to win 40 or more games this season. Um, And like I said, I I expect that they're going to finish sixth or fifth in the West, and they're going to cause problems in the playoffs because they're they're – in a in a league where everyone wants to everyone wants to space out and play the beautiful game, the Pelicans are going to come through like a tank, but a tank in a good way, not in a try to lose games way. And they are just going to just hammer away at teams. And 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 outside of that, um, Ollie, like he said, we have our our game coverage coming up, and then I'm going to be working on a piece um, in the very near future that's going to cover kind of where the Pelicans are um, cap wise and what it means for how they can um, re-sign Hart and Lonzo next summer and what it means kind of for their uh, evaluation of them going forward, because the Pelicans are closer to the tax than you might expect next year. um, If they decided to sign both of them. Uh, I, I admire your optimism uh, because if that does come to fruition, that it means that Zion and Steven Adams pretty much played the entire season. I think that's what it will take. And I think Ali can probably uh, agree with that, that a fully healthy season from Steven Adams and Zion probably would produce some kind of ceiling like that. Ali, what is your prediction for the season? Yeah, Vegas has them at 35 and a half. I've got them, you know, trying to be optimistic here about 38 to 39 wins. So I've got them grabbing the eighth spot. Before preseason, I had them pegged for nine. So I think they're going to get in ahead of the Warriors, or excuse me, be ahead of in the standings when the playing tournament starts, ahead of the Warriors and the Rockets and the Grizzlies. So yeah, eighth. One interesting thing I wanted to point out is that uh, Bet Online sends me stuff all the time in the email. And it was interesting that the heaviest bet win totals under were number one, Nets, two, Magic, three, Pelicans. So a lot of people don't think that the Pelicans are even going to get to that 35 and a half win total. 
All right. Uh, and for me, obviously, I'm not writing as much as I used to while I'm navigating my new work life. Uh, many of you know that Warner Media had massive layoffs across the board. I'm still with Bleacher Report, but not nearly at the volume that I was previously. And uh, Disney, of course, is not happening for me anymore. So I got a new job that I like a lot, but the hours are much more demanding. Uh, but I did talk with Anthony Davis, and Ali will help me write that. I, I should say help me edit that, but let's be real. Ali's going to help me write it. And that'll probably be up in like three to four weeks. Um, closer to the time that I'm allowed to it's uh right it it's being held by embargo until that point uh Preston, so for real that- quick you can't get out of here without giving us your prediction on the Pelicans man oh my god I've barely been watching basketball I'm basically just your de facto like television host right now uh but I I am not as confident uh in the Pelicans and it's I, I think there's more surround, uh, more question marks surrounding this franchise right now. I don't see J.J. Redick finishing the season with the Pelicans. I don't see Eric Bledsoe finishing the season with the Pelicans. Um, and just in terms of Stephen Adams uh, remaining healthy throughout the year, Zion Williamson uh, remaining healthy throughout the year, I don't see that happening either. I do think that Stan Van Gundy is going to limit the rotation in ways that Alvin Gentry never did. We heard Alvin Gentry say all the right things, that he wanted an eight- to nine-man rotation, but then we saw him roll out. Nikhail Alexander Walker for five minutes. He would run out Frank Jackson for three minutes to end the second quarter. Each one more would pop in and out of the lineup once every four to five games. It was, it was all very head scratching. And I don't think that's going to transpire in Stan Van Gundy's uh, lineup, which is going to be a tremendous advantage for the team. But with that being said, I do anticipate there is going to be still some roster turnover with this group uh, because Griff has shown that if he's able to exact any value for these players before they hit free agency, he's going to pull that trigger and I would think they would do that just as a benefit to J.J. Redick. Hey, man, go out there, get your title. Go go join, rejoin the Clippers. Go rejoin the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so I do think the Pelicans are going to improve. I do think they're going to be a more disciplined team. However, I just don't see that kind of consistency throughout the course of the season because I do think that Griff's primary uh, goal right now isn't to win. I think it's still to build and to develop, if that makes sense. It does. All right, great enough. Let's get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We're not going to ask you to rate the podcast anymore. We've got plenty of those. Thank you so much for everybody who helped us with that. Just retweet us. Give us a quote to eat. Go, what was Preston talking about? This podcast is so stupid. Bring back David Grubb. I don't care. All <laughs> press is good press. Thank you so much for all of your help. For now, let's dance and let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today